Welcome to Chatting with Authors podcast. I'm Will Zeilinger. And I'm Janet Lynn. Each of our programs feature an interview with authors from a variety of genres. We hope you'll learn a little about them, their writing life, and more. Here we go. Today, we have Gary Phillips. He's published various novels, comics, and short stories. He's the recipient of the Anthony Award in 2018 for The Obama Inheritance, 15 Stories of Conspiracy Noir. He's also a story editor on the FX cable show Snowfall, about crack in the CIA in 1980s South Central, where he grew up. Philip's latest novel is Matthew Henson and the Ice Temple of Harlem. Gary lives in Los Angeles. Here's Gary. Hi, Gary. How are you doing? I'm fine, Janet. And, and Will, uh, thanks, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. So how did you get mixed up with writing crime novels? Well, I think, uh, you know, as a teenager, well, as a kid, I, I watched a lot of uh, TV I uh, watched a lot of everything on TV, uh, but then somewhere, I suppose, in my teens, I, uh, I started reading uh, uh, sort of the, the members of the Pantheon, Hammett, and then Chandler, uh, and then Ross McDonald, uh, and, uh, and I, you know, I guess I got kind of hooked, and uh, it just seemed to me that the, the crime novel, the mystery novel, was a, um, a platform in which you could tell all kinds of stories. You could have all kinds of interesting and strange characters. Uh, the city itself, or the locales themselves, could be part of the uh, part of the plot, part of the characters uh, that you brought on the stage, and uh, and you know, just uh, I just kept at it. I mean, I just kept devouring it, kept reading it, and then at some point, I suppose, like a lot of folks, I figured, well, maybe I should try my hand at uh, at writing uh, that kind of story. So, why Matthew Hansen in the retro pulp treatment? Well, uh, along the way, uh, I was going to, uh, it's a good question, because along the way of reading uh, crime fiction, I also stumbled upon, in those days, uh, Bantam Books was reprinting uh, the, uh, the Adventures of Doc Savage, and Doc Savage had been one of the primary pulp characters from the 30s, Doc Savage, The Shadow, and I guess The Spider, I guess those were the three biggest main-selling uh, pulp characters back in, back in those days. And so I, uh, that was in, I guess I was in the seventies. So I was in high school then and on my way to, to a football practice uh, each day, uh, I would always have uh, one of those paperbacks in my back pocket. Uh, and uh, so that kind of, but it's also the case that, you know, as we know, several of these writers, Hammond and Chandler also came out of the pulps. Uh, uh, Black Mask magazine was a very popular pulp at the time, along with several other uh, detective uh, and mystery pulps. So anyway, that sort of was concurrent with what uh, I was reading. And I've had a dabble in uh, what they call new pulp now for several years. And then somehow or another, I guess I finally uh, thought about writing. I've written several short stories with pulp characters or neo-pulp characters. Uh, but now uh, I thought I wanted to tackle uh, a full-blown novel. And, uh, and Henson seemed ripe for a kind of mythological treatment as we've given quite a few of our historical characters in America. Well, that's great. That's great. Now, you've also done comic books. Yeah. Now, just, just the writing, or have you done the illustrations too? No, no, I, I'm not, I can't draw worth a damn. Uh, no, so, no, I wish I could. I wish I could be like a, a Frank Miller or some of these guys, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Thin City. Uh, so, no, I just, I just do the writing. And, uh, and the real work, the real storytelling is done by the artists. Yeah, my youngest brother and my nephews, they're really good at, at this. In fact, my 
my youngest brother used to be a, an anchor for uh, over at Sony, and he does a lot of graphic novels and stuff. Really? Like that. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's I, mean, wonderful. I, was, I was a graphic designer, but not the kind of artwork they do. They're, they're right. All that stuff. Oh man, that's terrific. Well, that's great. He, so, so he works. He works in animation. Oh well, we do a little. My brother did. Um, yes. Yeah, I just I was mostly commercial art, advertising, all that kind of stuff. Right. 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 But we do do some animation together for all our books have trailers. Oh, That's right really on. a lot of fun to do. We've been right on. Excellent. together. Excellent. Yeah. yeah, just some flash stuff, you know, Adobe right. Flash. But it's right that's on. still a lot of a lot of fun. Now, what's the difference? Is there a big any difference in writing what you're writing now in writing for comics? Yeah, I mean, it is in the sense that uh even when you're writing, you know, like now I've done some uh television writing, uh you know, TV writing is like movie writing in the sense of the scripts are, are, are very, uh, you know, boiled down. They're very much, very much the essentials of what you, whatever you need to communicate uh, both to the actors and to the, uh, to the art department in terms of what's the look. But you don't really describe that, right? You leave it to, if you just say he walks into a house and it's humbly furnished, that's, you leave it at that. Uh, for a comic book, as well as for a prose, you would describe it a bit more because you want to give that, uh, those visual cues to the artists. So yeah, to the extent that you uh, are thinking a bit more visually as well as communicating uh, the visuals in that way. Uh, yeah. So there is a, there is certainly a difference between the comic book script and say a teleplay. No, that, that's interesting because even in my career, uh, there's always kind of a running gun battle between the art directors and the, and the copywriters. <laughs> Yeah. And people always ask that, which comes first, you know, and well, it depends. Right. Well, I have a question. What, what came first, comics or novels? Well, comics came first, uh, Janet. I mean, there, there was no, uh, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. When I was a young man, was a kid, kid, uh, my dad was uh, a product of a depression. And so uh, to make sure that the, whatever I got for my, I think I got like a dollar or a dollar 50 because comics really cheap in those days. Um, so whatever I bought at the corner uh, 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 supermarket or not supermarket, the corner, corner store, you know, but he had, you know, grocery items and stuff, but it wasn't a supermarket. It was actually Whitehead's, Whitehead's uh, store. I remember this. And, you know, the comics in those days were on a spinner rack and I guess they were 12 cents, right? The 12 cents and then they made the jump eventually all the way up. But anyway, in those days they were 12 cents. So you could buy, you know, several comic books. And I think to make sure that uh, my dad, my dad, to make sure that he wasn't wasting his money, he would ask me, but he asked him, you know, nonchalantly, hey, uh, you know, what about that, that Daredevil comic book you read? What, what happened in that story? And, and I think in this way, I mean, one, of course, he was just making sure that he wasn't wasting his money and that I wasn't just buying these things and not reading them. But also, I think it helped to teach me something about story and plot and synopsis, even though in those days, you know, I, I, didn't, have those, I didn't have those words. I didn't have that, those definitions in my head. Uh, but, uh, but in that way, I think when I had to tell the story and to sort of, you know, boil it down for my dad, I think that it really helped <laughs> give me a sense of, uh, of, uh, of movement and pace and, 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 but then it just cemented my love, uh, for comics. Now I should say in my case, as I said, as you mentioned in my bio, uh, growing up in South Central in those days, we didn't read much in the way of DC comics. We didn't read much of Batman or Superman or anything like that. Cause in those days they were kind of silly, right? Uh, we read, we met, we wrote, we mostly read Marvel. And the reason we read Marvel is because the Marvel superheroes always had a lot of, you know, they had a lot of angst and they had like problems. 
you know, he had like problems that you had problems. You know what I mean? Like, like it could be out of work or, you know, Spider-Man, he's, he was like this teenage kid and he was always questioning, you know, whether he was Spider-Man. Yeah, they weren't as cardboard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the Hulk, you know, the Hulk was, you know, uh, anguished because he turned into this big, you know, green monster and he wrecked things and what have you. And let alone, I might add that the, the Black Panther, the first, really the first black superhero to show up on the scene, uh, came, you know, came out of Marvel Comics. So, so there's a lot of ways in which uh, we, us kids, drifted toward the Marvel stuff as opposed to the DC stuff, at least in those days. Plus, Stan Lee's a lot of fun anyway. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, I understand you like jazz. So how does do. jazz and noir, how do they work together? <laughs> well, I think it helps that, you, you know, on those noir films, there's always a great jazz score, right? I was thinking about uh, Elevator to the Gallows, this French film, I guess, from the late 50s that uh, Miles Davis uh, did the score for. And then, like, years later, Miles Davis and uh, John Lee Hooker, the great blues uh, player, uh, guitarist, they did this crazy minimalist score for The Hot Spot, which is actually based on, I guess he's not as well known today, but it was a, a kind of a paperback pulp writer, crime writer, uh, Charles Williams. And Charles actually Williams apparently did the the screenplay fr- from his his paperback original uh, uh, on this film, and there's just anyway there's a great minimal score. So I guess this, all that is to say is that when I hear jazz, and sometimes I'll play jazz when I'm when I'm writing, um, I just can't help but summon up you know those images of the war. And maybe it's because both those forms you're kind of riffing a bit, right? You know, uh, mm-hmm. on the human condition. Uh, you're trying to uh, you're trying to convey something about emotion and frailty and uh, our flaws uh, through either the music or or through the uh, the prose and the imagery uh, you evoke in noir. And I think because they both have that kind of um, I mean, jazz can be very uplifting, but jazz can also be very you know downbeat, right? Very in fact, there was a jazz magazine, right, called Downbeat for years and years. And because it has that kind of rhythm and because it has that kind of uh, uh, tapping of the inner soul, I think. So to me, I guess I, the, the two just go together. I have to agree with you because I like jazz, too. Uh, when I listen to it, it immediately puts me into uh, L.A., 1950s, 1950s. Yeah, right. And when I write, I, I, I listen to music also, but I, I have to have the music to write Otherwise, the words don't come out of my fingers. <laughs> so I listen to different things depending on what I'm writing. But was oh, that right? Uh, right on. Very good. Very good. Uh, when I write the real hardcore, like the fights or police car chases, I like to listen to heavy metal. That gets really? me so, yeah, it get, gets she me so upset. You never know that, well. would you? I know you wouldn't. Know. That's great. That's really great. But it gets you all wound up. That's even better. That's that's perfect. That's very cool. Yeah, Yeah, that's great. Stop signs, the the romantic walks along the beach, or romantic dinners. I like to listen to the Strauss waltzes. That relaxes me and puts me in the mood. Right on. I can't write. Like I said, I can't write without noise in my head. Something's got to be going on in my head. (laughs) That's great. That's very cool. Yeah, the jazz I think is kind of integral with the noir stories, and I'm just surprised. And I, I don't think it was until I started writing that I realized how many crime stories and how many stories in general are about writers. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the, but I think we're all influenced by those noir films. Yes. Both the music and the visuals. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Or that, uh, like, uh, you know, to, yeah. 
Yeah, or back in the day in the in the 50s, I remember uh I remember because I've seen the 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 uh, reruns. There was this crazy show called M Squad with uh with Lee Marvin, but yeah. Count Basie you know, like did you know did the music for the show. So it was like this great driving, you know, um, <laughs> you know, all set on the Chicago Chicago streets with uh with uh, Marvin's character running around with a, a machine gun as I recall. So yeah, exactly. So it, it's some it's some pretty great uh wild collusions between sort of the music and the imagery. But you're a California native, right? I mean, you're a Southern I California. am, yeah. yeah. Yeah, neither one of us are. So when we were researching our series, it took place in the 50s. Janet's a New Yorker. Yeah. And I'm from the Midwest, I'm from Omaha. We had to do a lot of research to, to, get, to, get, to get into that movie yeah. and learn so many things that we had no idea uh, were going on around here. Right. Now, now along with your books, you're also, uh, doing editing you you edit some yeah. anthologies now yeah. that includes the the vetting of the of the contributors or, or just the editing of the book itself well yeah both in my case usually it has meant uh either i've edited or co-edited uh these anthologies uh and invariably you know, let's say, well, the Obama inheritance, let's use that. That's a great example because that's something sort of I cooked up and then I pitch it to uh, uh, Peter and Kat of, uh, of Three Rooms Press. This is back when, back when we could all meet in person uh, when we were down in uh, New Orleans at, at the BoucherCon, which I guess that's what, four or five years ago, whatever, however yeah. long that, yeah, that was, that, was. that was a great fun. And so, because, uh, oh, I, yes, it was, because of course it was, it was prior to, <laughs> it was prior to the election. Uh, and so, uh, but anyway, we kind of thought, uh, I pitched him on the idea that, you know, here's all these crazy, insane theories about Obama. And wouldn't it be interesting if we just did a an anthology where you have the writers pick any of the crazy, insane theories and just run with it and have fun with it, not to be preachy, not to be in a soapbox, but just, just to have a blast. So in that regard, yes, I, I uh, along with, with Peter and Kat came up with a list of, of writers to ask, uh, generally speaking, Usually, you know, an idea like that kind of intrigued him. So I got Walter Mosley to do a story. I got some others to do a story who don't, you know, may not, because it wasn't like this great pay. Uh, but the idea intrigued him. Uh, and so in that regard, I solicit the writers. Uh, I vet the stories. Although in the case of the Obama inheritance, I did, honestly, I did very little, uh, edit, maybe some line edits, but very little editing in terms of content and tone because understanding the tone and content was going to kind of be all over the map and which was okay. I think it worked well for that book. Other books, uh, Occupied Earth is a good example of something where it's a shared universe. It's about, it's a science fiction anthology that Richard Brewer and I did uh, several years ago for Polis books. And in that one, because the premise is that we're looking at Earth under alien, alien as in space alien occupation. And yet, you know, the trains are still running, the police still function, things are functioning, but there's a military presence, there's an overlord presence of what does that mean? You know, like, like Vichy France or Stalinist Russia. And so in that regard, we, we, we were pretty strict in terms of how we edited some of the stories only because we had to have consistency from story to story about certain things that get mentioned or certain uh, big incidents that happened in that world. Cause we're, you know, essentially you're building a world and we had given every writer a, a kind of mini Bible to go by. Uh, so in that case, we were much more strict uh, in terms of uh, our approach. And then I think, and then as I said, for the Obama inheritance, I was much looser. I was much, it didn't, it didn't matter that each, you know, the stories weren't consistent one to the other, it's okay. Because 
conspiracy conspiracy theories aren't consistent one to the other. <laughs> okay, they're not. Now I'm going to jump jump a little not bit you. here. I, I read one of your uh, I read this story. I'm trying to blank, and I'm having a senior moment. Last name. Your character's name was Ivan. Ivan Monk. Ivan Monk. Yeah, enjoyed that greatly. I'm trying to remember. Oh, thank. Yeah, uh, and I think you. I saw two. I think there are two. Does he? How many books did you have of Ivan Monk? There's four Ivan Monk novels, and then it's also a collection of his uh, short stories called Monkology. Oh, yeah, great character. Enjoyed that. Thank you. That was my that was my first published novel, uh, Violent Spring, oh. in '94. I read it too. It was great. Now, are your next, your latest book, uh, Matthew Hansen, Are you going mm -hmm. to make that into a series? Well, uh, you know, we'll see, Janet. I mean, uh, the book uh, drops uh, middle of November, November 17th, I think, is when it drops, uh, as they say. Uh, we've been getting some nice advanced uh, word. We got a lovely review in Publishers Weekly, and we've gotten some uh, lovely blurbs that we're going to use on the, on the book. And uh, uh, just recently went through a final um, read of the galleys, as well as uh, tightening up some stuff on the back cover. Uh, so all that to say is that, you know, during this time of the pandemic and bookstores are sort of open and kind of not open and, you know, whatever, uh, we shall see. So it's all about, uh, you know, it's all about moving units. <laughs> so <laughs> if, we can, if we can move some units and, uh, and, and like that, then it's all to the good. If, if, if they're sitting there in the warehouse, well, then that might be a different dis discussion. But yes, in, in my head, at least I'm hoping to write uh, at least a couple more uh, Matthew Henson outings. Uh, this particular outing takes place in 1928, so it's right before uh, the, the stock market crash and, and, the, and the Great Depression, uh, but it takes place during the Harlem Renaissance, which is a very specific time period, uh, and using some other historical characters uh, in the mix. Uh, and actually, one of the plans I have, and, and, and we'll see, is to maybe do a Henson, uh, one of the sequels might be as a graphic novel. I think that it's great. Right. Cool. That sounds really Yeah, cool. yeah. I think so, yeah. Now, can today's readers be shocked at all at what's on your pages? <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't think they can. And so, therefore, <laughs> I try not to, I try not to, I don't write the shock, right? I mean, I, I might write a, a, a rugged scene. Uh, I might write, you know, a tough scene. In fact, I've just, uh, not just, not just today, but a couple of weeks ago, I'm working on a novel now. And I got to a point um, in the story where it's different. I usually work from an outline and it's a bit different. Actually, it's quite a bit different than what I had in the outline. And the scene is uh, harder edged than uh, what I had originally envisioned. But I thought, well, I will keep this scene and not because it's not particularly violent or bloody in that regard. Uh, it's just a hard scene that I think has an effect on the character. So I think in the end, uh, our job as the writer is to is to probably not to shock the reader, but it's probably to shock our characters, right? It's to it's to put them in a corner. It's to make them do that thing that they've either been consciously or unconsciously uh, avoiding. In this case, the character it's actually it's another kind of historical, uh, not it's a historical crime fiction. It's set in 1963 L.A., and the character uh, is a Korean War vet. And he suffers from, we didn't call it PTSD then, we called it uh, shell, shell shock. So he's, he's shell shocked from his, his war experience, but 
course, he's also a male of a certain age in 1963. So the idea that he would admit this to himself or admit it to his other buddy, who's also a, a, a Korean War vet, who, and in fact, who was blinded in the war from a landmine. They're talking at one point and, and they, they kind of dance around the subject matter, right? And, but they, neither one can really truly admit that, you know, in these days you would, you would seek help, you would seek therapy, um, but not, not, for, not for that time period. But anyway, all that to say is that that has an effect on him. And when I get him to this particular passage in the book where he does a thing that it's not really out of character, but it's you, 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 you kind of, I think, hopefully the reader will understand where it comes from in the sense of what he's been through. Uh, it will also then play out uh, later, obviously, on his psyche. So I, I think for me, then that's the idea that, you know, I'm not trying to give you too much bloody passages or, or lips <laughs> flying everywhere, what have you. Well, you, you, well, you answered more, the questions. You know. Yeah, that you're definitely an outliner. Yes. <laughs> okay. And the other question. Well, I, but, then I, but, but Will, then I, de I deviate from the outline. Oh, well, yeah, you yes. need to do that. I'm, a, yeah. I'm an outliner, too. He's a pastor. Are you? We're yeah. mismatch well, here. I've, there you I've, go. Learned to, I've learned to be more of an outliner. Another question is, um, um, do you keep most of your characters, uh, I mean, are most of your characters uh, African-American? No. Um, no, it varies. It, it actually varies. No, it, it, actually, it actually varies. I mean, these last two books, yes, Henson, because well, Henson was a real person. I mean, I'm basing on the real Henson. Henson was black. And Harry Ingram, my character in this uh, uh, novel I'm working on that I was just talking about, is actually is black. But he's, uh, it's also because he's actually another character who's based or inspired by, not really based by, but he's inspired by a real-life person, a guy named Harry Adams, who was a part-time photographer and part-time barber. So he was kind of interesting. <laughs> he was an interesting guy. And he was kind of an L.A. fixture. Uh, and, uh, uh, but no, I, I, I like to think that, uh, you know, I write different kinds of characters, white, Asian, uh, Latinx, um, and, uh, hopefully make them live on the page. Right. I mean, that's, that's our goal. Right. So, uh, so it isn't the case that they're always black, but in particular, these two guys, yes, because it, very specifically because of the time period I'm talking about or time period I'm trying to, to show, uh, and particularly I think for Harry, in Harry's case in, um, uh, in that book, the LAPD in 1963 was, the LAPD is rugged now, it was a quite, quite, it was even more so in 1963. Well, we're writing, uh, we're starting a new series start, uh, in 1962. So we're in the middle of getting all that information. Oh, really? We're writing, oh, we're writing 56. Yeah. Uh, the series is 62. So oh. it's been uh, real interesting looking into the police department. Well, you're still yeah. in the Parker, Parker yeah. days. Yes, right. And, and Parker actively recruited white officers from the Jim Crow South. Now, here's a question. One of the questions I ask all my authors, where do you get your ideas? You know, uh, Janet, I, I steal them from wherever I can. Uh, I, uh, I'm a, I watch a lot of news. So although, you know, the news out of Washington is so surreal, you can't. There's no way to... There's no way to keep up with that, right? Even stuff we had in the Obama inheritance doesn't keep up with where we're at now. So you can't, so you can't worry about that. Uh, but I invariably, you know, like all of us now, I get the, you know, I get a news feed on my um, on my phone or whatever, and and you know, so a lot of it sometimes is just uh, what they call it clickbait. So it's just useless, right? But some of it occasionally is interesting, and so and so sometimes I'll I'll read something or I'll I'll make a note. 
or I'll keep that that link, right? I'll, I'll just make a file and I just keep, you know, it used to be in the old days, you kept a morgue, right? A, a printed out stuff. And sometimes I will print it out just because I, I still like to have things that I can shuffle through and read. Um, and it'll just be some little thing. It's not a big deal, right? It's just some little piece, but that I might use it later for something else, right? I might use, you know, kind of like this menu selection. I have this over here and I have that over here. And, and, and now maybe together they might make some kind of interesting, interesting story. Uh, I just finished, or because it was partly due uh, to deadline pressure, but I had to uh, work on a on a noir short story, and but it was I had I I had purposely given given it a a very modern twist, very much somewhat from drawn from the headlines today, and so in that regard, um, I didn't have to do a lot of research because it's all around us, uh, and then and then you know. Put it to put it to paper. Whereas other things, you know, as you mentioned, other things which maybe, as I said, you know, require more in-depth research or, or require you to think more about who the characters are. Uh, you might want to percolate for a while. So some of that stuff you just sort of set aside and, and keep, and then, uh, like I said, just sort of look at it at some point and start to think about how these how these various facets, maybe unrelated to one another, how you might use them in a story to make them relate to each other. Well, it doesn't sound like the pandemic has really broken your stride with your writing. Well, I, I'm a solid, I'm a, a, lead, a lead a lonely life. Well, I got nowhere to go. I mean, I had nowhere to go to begin with. So it's not like, you know, am I missing out? No, not really. You know, I don't go to, I mean, now occasionally, you know, we would obviously we'd go to our conferences and hang out at the bar. I, I miss, I do miss that. Right. I do miss that. And I do miss having, uh, having poker games now and then, but other than that, you know, it's just, it is what it is, right? I guess, you know. Well, that's why, we, that's why we started chatting with authors. We miss our friends. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. A little FaceTime. Um, right. One last thing also, do um, you find it a challenge to switch between short stories and novel uh, formats? You know, that that's an excellent question. Uh, yes, in the sense that, uh, here, come here and say hi real quick. There's the boy. <laughs> Now go away. You didn't show us our book cover. Oh, I don't have the Matthew Henson book cover, but I was going to show you um, this book cover, which is Low Down Dirty Vote 2, because this is just out, and I have a short story uh, in that um, uh, as well. But uh, to answer the uh, – uh, what was the question? Where were we, where were we going with this? <laughs> the challenge of, of switching between – Oh, switch, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, because I actually have a good, a good, a good point on that, which is to say, it's a mindset. Uh, it is a mindset. There's something to be said, as as you know, for doing the short story, because you know, you you can only you only have so much real estate, and you have to get it done, and you have to kind of keep driving, 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 and 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 get the reader to the conclusion or the twist ending or or, or the reveal or what have you. Um, in the in the for instance, so in the novel that I'm working on now, I am working for an outline, but as I as I, we mentioned, I, I deviated uh, from it, which I always do. And because I have more real estate, um, there are several subplots I've put in that um, I'm now in the process because I'm toward getting toward the end of it. You know, tying those up, or at least if I'm leaving them. In one case, I think I'm going to leave one subplot dangling, but I'm going to leave it. I'm going to make it clear to the reader that I'm dangling it. I'm not just sort of ignoring it, but that, 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 that Harry can't resolve that. And maybe that will come back to haunt him in, in the, in the second book. If I get to do a second book about, 
uh, Harry Ingram. Um, so I think in that regard, although I have to say, I do have to say that I think one of the things that has carried over from writing short stories as well as now writing uh, scripts, uh, be they, you know, for, for television or, or comics, there is a certain brevity, I, I think, that has made its way into my work so that, you know, obviously in a, in a, in a novel, we can be more long-winded if we want to and be more descriptive, and I think I am that. But I also think there are times when I just say, well, I'm going to cut this, and we're just going to kind of move and, 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 you know, kind of push things forward a little bit, a little bit quicker. So I think there's some, I think there's some of that too in, uh, in the novel writing. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, we'd love to talk to you the rest of the day, but uh, we're going to have to wrap up here pretty soon. All right. We just want to thank you for taking the time out of your obviously very busy day writing. <laughs> no, no, I, I appreciate it. That's very good. No, usually I'm usually knocking off about this time. I, I you know, I get up in the morning and uh, get some coffee and uh, try to make my word count. And then uh, once I made the workout, man, I mean, that's, you know, there you go. But now, yeah, I mean, I, see, I used to go to the gym. Well, I can't go to the gym and, or maybe again, I can go to the gym. I don't know. And uh, you know, so yeah, I'm just hanging around. <laughs> okay. So thank you very much, Gary. And we'll see you again, hopefully in person soon. And thank you for being on chatting with authors. Uh, well, you guys, thank, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Bye. Right. Thank you. Bye. Adios. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Chatting with Authors podcast. To learn more about Janet Elizabeth Lynn and Will Zeilinger, go to themarriedauthors.blogspot.com. Tune in next time to hear more Chatting with Authors.